Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Recorded live from the lobby of the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. That's a honey of a tree, Clark. You real? Yeah, yeah. I dug it out of the ground myself. That a fact. Hey, hey, get out of there. Stop. No. No, don't worry about it, Clark. Little tree water ain't gonna hurt him. Before we left, he drank a half a quart of Penn's oil. Boy, when he lifted his leg the next morning. Whoa. <laughs> Eddie, if he drinks the water out of there, the tree's gonna dry up. Come on, out of there. It's not. Out, out, out. You get out of there. Come on, get in the kitchen now. Get in the kitchen there and get you something to eat. Go on. He's cute, ain't he? Only problem is he's got a little bit of Mississippi leg hound in him. If the mood catches him right, he'll grab your leg and just go to town. <laughs> you don't want him around if you wear his short pants, if you know what I mean. <laughs> a word of warning, though, if he does lay into you, it's best to just let him finish. Hello? just can't believe you're actually standing here in my living room, Eddie. Mm. <laughs> Never thought the day would come. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. It's a crying shame. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Sun Cinema Podcast, a weekly radio show that examines the highs and lows of the medium of film through the filtered lens of Washington, D.C.'s only privately owned art house cinema. I'm your host, Jason Cauley. I'm joined by my co-host and the proprietor of Sun Cinema, Ryan Hunter Mitchell. Ryan? Where do we put... Uh, Christmas vacation in the highs and lows of High. the medium of f- <laughs> high. <laughs> That's a Christmas movie. Oh my gosh! It's or, you know. Yeah, I meant in the entire medium of film. Well, you know, in the entire medium of film, I, I, I'd say it's somewhere you know between Jingle All the Way and uh, Lethal Weapon. <laughs> yeah. but, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, no, it's great. I mean, it's so much fun. Like that was such a real like there was it was one of those movies that had. Such low expectations because European vacations suck so bad, oh. and it and a, a decent amount of time had passed, and like oh they're just like k- kind of cranking this out, and then it just became a huge success. Everybody loved it, you know. Realized like oh they're kind of back to form, despite the fact that the kids change every single time. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about European vacation. It sucks. Yeah, it's uh, not great. I definitely put Vegas vacation above European vacation. Yeah, probably. Oh, yeah, I'm, it would I have mean to, it. I guess, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not good. No, it's not. Uh, hi, hi, ev- hey, hi, yeah, welcome. Everyone. Uh, this we ta- this is uh, everyone's favorite uh, National Lampoon's Vacation podcast, right. the Sun Cinema podcast. Uh, we just finished up with uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, we're headed into the holidays. We'll get to a little bit more of those a little later, right? But yeah, uh, Thanksgiving just happened. So yeah, how was long that? weekend? How was everyone? Jack's back. Jack, I'm Jack. here. Friend of the pod. Friend what? of the pod, Jack. Greatest producer. What, were you, uh, how, you've been in Japan for the last four months? For the past four months, that's right. I got very lost in translation. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Damn it. Good place to get lost. All right. Uh, well, yeah, what, what did we see this weekend? Yeah. yeah everyone saw movies. It's the, biggest, yeah. uh, it's the biggest weekend for movies, I think. I think Jack said he saw Queen and Slim. I saw Queen and Slim. Didn't love it. I think I would have liked it a lot more if I was like... 16 to 18. Oh, ah, that's interesting. You know, it's like okay. it's like a really good soundtrack. It looks good. Good love story, you know. All right. Yeah. 
But what, you just didn't just didn't work for didn't, you. Huh? It wasn't fully baked for me. Got it. It was a uh, came. It was a uh, third in the grossing. Really? This, this yeah. So so frozen it, knives out. Right? That's the yeah. One, let me go through a bit of the Thanksgiving movie weekend for the public. Never never mind what we saw. We could talk about that in a minute. But the public saw Frozen two. It wasn't its opening weekend. It was the second weekend, but still it it broke records. It, it set two records in two weekends. It was the record highest grossing weekend for Thanksgiving. I think it already was the highest grossing weekend, opening weekend ever. Wow. And, and then it gets the highest grossing Thanksgiving weekend in history. In week two. Yeah. In week two. It made $123.7 million. Okay. Uh, so right now, this is probably old news, but as of whenever I read the article, it had se- like around $740 million globally Jeez. in 12 days. Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Uh, Making that money. Yeah, she's on a roll right now. So her and Dax both, man. What is he? In, is he Olaf? No, no, no. Just her husband. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he got her a sloth one time. And I saw her cry about it. Uh, yeah. So it's it's on its way to making a billion, uh, which Disney has a lot of those. So here I'm going to go through some of these yeah. stats. Disney had had already set the record for the highest grossing year ever for a studio. Say that again. By July, right? In July. In July. Disney had had set the record for highest grossing year for a, a movie studio ever. By July. Halfway By July. through the year, they've already got and it. And that's before Frozen 2 comes out, which cranks out two weekends of, of record-breaking weekends. And we have a Star Wars coming out at the end yeah, of this month. Yeah, right. They, they are going to have probably $5 billion movies oh, this year. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone, that, just for reference, for everything else is chump change after Frozen and Disney. But Lionsgate uh, Knives Out brought in $41.7 million, uh, over the five-day opening, and that was like well over expectations. Yeah, that's a lot. Likely to reach $100 million, which puts uh, Knives Out could join Hustlers, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Us as the only films not based on a previous film or, or previous property to reach $100 million this year in 2019. That's just depressing. Well, I mean, it's not totally depressing. It's not that. It's just that I feel like the yeah the opportunity is just a little diminished, right? Um, just the opportunity to get stuff like that made. Yeah, I, I'm glad that these are still uh, that I recently checked like the top ten grossing movies of the year, and Us was still number seven. Yeah, that's I mean, great. Came out in February. It's just off of Jordan Peele being great. That's cool. But, yeah, there's not a lot of room for the stuff that... Well, I mean, yeah, people are always going to have an appetite for it, but how it gets pushed and placed over some of these other things really affects, you know, the the final numbers. So if you've got a film like Knives Out, which I've been going to the movies heavily the last month and preceding Knives Out, you know, releasing last week... They did a monster push. It seemed like uh-huh. every movie I was going to see had a preview for Knives Out. Yeah. And it, it was a, a great trailer, like a really fun trailer. You're excited about it. Great cast, you know, uh, like a good mystery, fun Thanksgiving kind of movie like you want to go see. Um, that, that happened. The studio got behind it. You know, Lionsgate got behind it and gave it a real strong push. Sure. And it was successful, and it's going to remain successful, partially because, you know, it's, uh, it's a competent film. I had some issues with it, um, but, you know, certainly a fun time. Um, cool. Yeah, can't deny it. I that. mean, it's got James Bond. 
Captain America. Right. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, yeah. He, he, he's up there. Oh, I love Lakeith. Michael Shannon. Uh, oh, what a good cast. Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, just a ton of people. Okay, so fourth. Uh, and then we got Universal's Queen and Slim. Sorry, came in third. Uh, romantic drama. It's like a romantic crime drama. Sure. Yeah. Right? Romantic thriller. Thriller. Drama, political. I like it. I don't know. Yeah. Something to talk about. It made $15.8 million, um, which is not 123, nor is it 41.7, but it, it's a big number, and I'm glad. What the hell? I'm, hey, man. I'm, I saw the Mr. Rogers movie. Yeah, um, right. Did you? Yeah, and, and it, I think it did, so it performed okay. Uh, so I think it came in fourth. It still did pretty well. It looks sure. like it'll do okay. I didn't love it. I guess it was kind of... If you're expecting it to be a biopic like uh, version of the documentary, it's not that. Right. Which is refreshing, but I, I didn't love it. It's, it kind of is a tale about the reporter who did the story for Esquire a yeah, few years back. Whoever, yeah. And he wrote a book about it. It's fine. It has a guy from the Americans, uh, Matthew Reese. Yeah. How was Hanks, though? Tom Hanks is, is he is good in it. He actually is. It's so hard to I mean, not. You know, like before this ever reached even kind of preview stage, once we knew it was happening, there was already this kind of low buzz of like, could this be his third Oscar? Is he going, you know, is uh-huh. this a, is this going to be that kind of performance where everybody's like, Hey, mm-hmm. Hanks is back. I don't, I don't see him win the Oscar for it. He's good in it. He's great. I sure. don't, he's, you know, he's of Tom the Hanks. people to play it. He's a good Mr. Rogers, but he's Tom Hanks. So right. he, it's very hard to step away from him being Tom Hanks. Okay. Uh, but he's good. No, he's good. And they do a few cool things in the movie, but you can guess what. The movie is a Hallmark movie. Sure. It's got a few creative uh, scenes, but it is what you'd expect. Right. It is. It's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Does it feel like a wasted performance because of that? Mm. It's not a wasted performance. It just it just makes sense. It's on the trajectory mm. of Tom Hanks' career. It's like, yeah, okay. okay. Right. Good. Right on. Uh, I, I'm not expecting him to do... Uh, maybe he's got one more in him that's like something real, real uh, heart-wrenching or something. Maybe he's got one more that's going to really drag you in and just right. be overwhelmed by his, his acting, but I don't, I don't see it. But, this know, wasn't it. But right. Uh, okay, and then overall, the box office was down from last year, as it's been this year, uh, for the top 10 films. Fell short of last year's record, which was like $300 million. Oh, wow. This didn't make it. Sure. So uh, that's the weekend. That's the public's weekend. The public's weekend. Uh, also released on Netflix, like at large, beyond the studio system, was The Irishman, right? I... Um, I, as far as in my world, this is this, the big splash I was getting was people like reacting to the Irishman. Right. Um, yeah. I saw it a few weeks ago when it opened, mm-hmm. you know, in theaters. Um, I think we kind of wanted to talk about it then, but I, it's kind of nice that we waited. A yeah, bit. yeah. No, no, no. This is better. Um, I think more people, certainly people listening to this have probably had a better chance over the long weekend. You know, that it's those kinds of things, right? I mean, I watched, rewatched the Dirty Dozen this weekend because it's like three hours and uh-huh. you're like... Most nights and even most weekends, I don't have the time. But when you have that luxury of four days or so, you're like, yeah, I can squeeze in a three-hour movie. No big deal. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably what happened with The Irishman. It probably had a lot of viewings over the weekend. People have a lot of thoughts. There was a lot of Twitter action. Yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff. So what you saw it, right, this yeah. weekend. And all right. I saw it. Uh, 
You know, I threw it back on uh, the other night, but I didn't finish it. But I, I watched it in theaters a couple weeks oh, ago. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I've got a few takes, but I, I'll, first I'll just go over some of the takes that were like the, the... Everyone's takes were either it's too long, uh, the de-aging is annoying. Uh, that was a big take, everyone commenting on that. A real hot take was Anna Paquin having seven lines in the movie, in a three-and-a-half-hour movie, uh, which gets all sorts of... Uh, there's tons of takes about that. Uh, and people, the main joke, everyone had a joke of like, I'm watching it how Scorsese intended. And it was people showing that they're watching it while like driving their car (laughs) on their, on their iPhone or whatever. Sure. Um, so yeah. And people saying it's too long. That was, that, that was a lot, but I was getting friends texting me like, this could have been nine hours. I had friends who were just like, I will sit in this movie forever. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Uh, what would you take? Cause you... (laughs) <laughs> I don't like Scorsese. You're right. Um, yeah, I mean, my love and admiration for Martin Scorsese and everything he's done in film has been well documented, but this wasn't one of my favorite Scorsese mm-hmm. films. I wasn't super excited to go see it. I wasn't, to be honest, thrilled about sitting in a movie theater with previews and everything else for like four and a half hours. Uh-huh. Um and I, unlike other people, I guess I did feel somewhere, you know, beyond the two hour mark of like, where are we? Yeah. Uh, I had a little bit of trouble with understanding where we were in time. Sometimes I'd have to rethink or like, are we in the sixties now? Or is this, are we still, you know, in the fifties? Are we present as close to present day as they came? Um, this was a huge critique about the de-aging is like, and the de-aging, right. What era it was. That's exactly kind of where I was leading was I have a really hard time a with the de-aging and I have a harder time. This is one of those things I think you're going to look back on like in, in some weird way, if we quit having actors in 50 years and it's all, you know, just computer generated, uh, acting machines. Um, this is going to be the one this is going to be the one film the the Martin Scorsese of all people you know it wasn't Spielberg it wasn't Lucas it wasn't one of these guys Zemeckis wasn't who are, Will Smith who are yeah but these guys who are known for like really pushing the envelope technically uh-huh. um all of those you know guys i just mentioned fall into that category and you could see them being the ones to propagate and start pushing de-aging into you know, movie after movie. It, I find it really strange that it was Martin Scorsese. Yeah. <laughs> that this kind of purest filmmaker that we talk about all the time is the one that first popularly implemented de-aging into cinema. And it's just kind of ironic to me that that's happening. And I'm curious how we're going to look back on that because I will tell you there's a scene Early on, when De Niro has trouble with his truck, right? And he Uh meets Pesci's character, and they're both young-ish, de-aging, whatever's happening. They're under the hood. There's the the cut back and forth between Pesci and De Niro. When you're on De Niro, if you've watched him a lot, like I have my entire life, uh, or since my teenage years, um, there are moments where his mouth moves in a way that is not him. Not human. Not human, even. (laughs) Yeah, and certainly not human to Robert De Niro. Uh, And it immediately just took me out of the film, and it happened multiple times throughout the film. Sure. 
I will also say I was really excited that Jesse Plemons was in the film, and I'm not doing the Anna Pank one. I understand why she only had seven lines and, and all uh-huh. of that. Um, but I felt like Jesse Plemons is like this great actor, gets a great break to work with Scorsese, and has nothing to do in the film, is sure. almost non-existent in the film, could have edited around his character and probably not had any impact. Um, yeah, the, the weight. I think the weight that's supposed to be implied by that character just doesn't yeah. doesn't land. Doesn't come across. Like it, um, it should be a Judas moment or something, and it's just not. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, you nothing don't. really has an impact um, with regard to his character and, and that portion of the film. I mean, and I get it. Like I, I feel horrible about kind of not loving this movie. I guess I want. You know, I wanted it to be amazing and, and all of those things. And I know a lot of people think it is. I personally just didn't fall in love with it. How about you? Uh, my favorite part is that I didn't notice that Dominic Lombardi or Lombardozzi from Herc from The Wire. Oh, okay. Is in it as he's he's a uh, Salvino or something. He's like one of the big uh, Salerno, whatever. Sorry. Right. Sorry, everyone Italian is going <laughs> to listen to this. <laughs> Uh, so I was glad that he was in it. Uh, he's the guy who plays Herc from The Wire. He's kind of like, he's better as an older character. He plays a much older character. <laughs> he's the youngest actor by far right. out of the, the cast of the mob guys. It plays the oldest of them. Uh, I thought Pesci was great. Uh, great return for Pesci. I think he was very... Oh, Pesci was really so good. good. The DAG really I didn't good. mind nearly as much on Pesci. Didn't oh, okay. bother me nearly as much. Uh wasn't wasn't as distracting. It's very distracting with De Niro. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, I, when I first watched it and I got out, I had not seen The Parasite yet, and I was just I just got out of this long movie, and I was like, "Damn it! This is probably like the only free time I had to go watch The Parasite, and I could see this on Netflix in a couple yeah, of weeks." Right. Uh, so that w- that was my take. <laughs> um, initially, right. It did. I did stew on it. And there's things I like, and so if you hopefully no one has to hear about this for too long. Uh, but the Irishman is is certainly a self-referential mob movie by Scorsese, looking at his own body of work and the body of of mob and crime movies and cinema, and it's a reflection on that. And it in that role. I think it does a good job. It, has, it takes a totally different take on a, a personal take on how crime happens. Uh, it doesn't seem so... While also telling kind of this larger national story of Jimmy sure. Hoffa, right? And what that world was like kind of, you know, post-World War II, but uh-huh. pre, kind of pre-Vietnam uh, to an extent, you know, for the first part of the film at least. Um, Oh yeah, I mean, and the, kind the, of what the country was was for, and what you know how big unions were, and sure. how big like it it does do a great job of kind of encapsulating how huge Jimmy Hoffa was as a person, sure, you know, and how popular he was in the country, um, and divisive at some you know at some oh, point. Absolutely, and yeah, the the politics and the national story it's running alongside. Yeah, is, is quite interesting. I like that he does this. I. The thing is, of it being too long, and I know everyone's going to have takes about it being too long, the reason I do feel that it's a little too long is because when I started seeing, when I did see other movies, for instance, Parasite or anything, I saw sure. the trailers for The Irishman. The Irishman. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, it was a good movie. All this stuff does happen in it. There are all these cool cinematic scenes. Right. But the fact that it's not condensed at all, 
makes you lose that a lot. Like, yeah. which accomplishes certain things, accomplishes some like uh, moral arcs or something. But it does lose the fact that there's this cool story where a lot of stuff is going on, but it's so stretched out. I mean, and there's things like him taking a plane to Detroit. It's like, just, we know he's going to get on a plane. We right. get it that he gets to Detroit. You don't need to show. Uh, you, there's a lot of things you could have cut. Sure. No, I mean, I, I think that I fully you know believe that directors should have control of their film and um, should be allowed to make the picture that they want. But I do think there is a role... Um, you know, played by the producers, played by the studio that kind of help shape that and rein that in when it's being done well, not adversarially, mm -hmm. but just to help the filmmaker really deliver the vision that he has. Yep. Um, that is the role of a producer. And I felt very much like Netflix just said, how much is it? We'll write you a check. When do oh, you think yeah. you can have it done? Okay, we'll plan for you know Thanksgiving release time. So, you know that blah blah blah, and they just let him go make it. Well, and for them, a time constraint is is not it's relative part of their model, right? They they want you engaged for as long as you can to see your habits or whatever. Yeah, you know, they're very interested in having long material for sure. And in a world where you can pause a movie, uh, which I don't think Scorsese for sure is not like intending for his movie to be paused. Right. But it's on Netflix. That's what's going to happen. People yeah. are going to watch it over 10 days or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Mm, so it fits into this new format of viewing, which is interesting. Uh, I don't, I see why he made a long movie because of that model. Uh, I don't think it made the movie better. Right. I know this is going to sound like the, the kind of obvious or generic, uh, take on this but I do feel like that was part of it and I feel like oh, a lot definitely. of people feel that was just like oh because it's Netflix he's going to make it almost four hours because he can uh -huh. you know doesn't mean he should for sure uh, one thing I will say is the the last hour of the movie is great the last hour of the movie for me I was like this is where it matters I don't know if you needed two and a half hours to create the last hour I'll tell you by that last hour I'll, I'll see it again, of course. Uh -huh. I mean, I know people who haven't seen it that I'll see it with, that kind of thing. But um, by the time that last hour rolled around, I was kind of fatigued. Oh, definitely. You know? <laughs> and especially sitting in a movie theater where I wasn't going to get up. You know, I had my water. I had my junior mints. I'm not leaving. Yeah, yeah. And like by hour two and a half, the water's gone. The junior mints are gone. I kind of have to go to the bathroom, and there's still an hour to go. And what decade is this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and where are we in this movie? So, uh, that's I had a you know, I, I don't mean to sound dense. I, I hope I'm not because I feel like I'm pretty great at following <laughs> films. But yeah. I did struggle a little bit with this again. Like in that last hour, I started fatiguing out and being like, "Where are we? Who, which, which decade are we in yeah. now?" So the format's kind of smart too. But unfortunately, the length of the movie and how meandering it is makes you lose what's a pretty smart format. It's, yeah. a, it's a road trip. Yeah, it's no. one road trip exactly. on the way to do this important deed between Joe Pesci and Robert And they Nero. do a great job of doing the road trip. The road trip's very yeah. fun. Every time they cut back to that, I'm like, I'm in. Oh, this yeah. is so much fun. So you have this one the road trip. The wives in the back see the whole smoking oh, thing. Oh, the wives are, are yeah. incredible in it. Uh, you know, And they're such important characters that we obviously don't know their names. Uh, <laughs> for all the criticism, <laughs> some of it is deserved. So you get this road trip. You get a, a first third is Joe Pesci. The second third is, is Al Pacino. 
And the last third is De Niro. Like, you're following these characters as your main characters, despite Frank being right. the main character, the Irishman, being the main character on through the road trip. It's mostly his telling. But you're like, you know, you're... you're your big character is Pesci in the first third. Your big character in the second third is Hoffa. Right. By, played by Al Pacino, which is incredible. I think Pacino is so good in this. Yeah. Uh, and they don't de-age him as much, so that's yeah, why he's better. Right. Uh, and then De Niro with this great last third. But this, it doesn't seem that smart or that concise at all. Like, you right. can hard, stepping back from it, taking some time, I can acknowledge, like, oh, this is your storytelling arc. Yeah. That's pretty smart. You completely lose it while you're watching it. Or I did. I did time. too. Yeah, just because it's meandering all over the place, it's hard to get what matters. Yeah, um, it's all over the place. This being said, I want to go over Gimel del Toro's tweets because he loved the movie and he did a few things that make me like it philosophically and like the the reflection that's happening in it. Right, and it makes me appreciate a lot of parts of the movie. And this is what maybe made me come around to overall like the Irishman. Not going to read the whole thing, but. This, he has a 13-tweet thread about this. Uh, tweets about Scorsese's Irish man. The film connects with epitaph-like nature of Barry Lyndon, which I did like. That's a good... It's a little... Uh, maybe that's over the top. Barry Lyndon is a great Kubrick movie that is a long-ass epic <laughs> that has an intermission. Right. I, I would almost argue... <laughs> I mean, here we go again. I don't. I know like the purists are going to be like killing us, but... I would also argue Barry Lyndon is not... Barry Lyndon. <laughs> well, it's not Kubrick's greatest film. No. Um, and I think part of it is is because it's almost four hours long or uh-huh. whatever, you know, three and a half hours and change or whatever it was. And, and I think if you trimmed even 15, 20, 30 minutes maybe mm-hmm. off of that film, it's, it's a whole different kind of viewing experience. Sure. Uh, and much more digestible. Um, but as Barry... It's, using Barry Lyndon as a sure. reference point, I think is useful because and this it's is not Guillermo a, del Toro. Yeah. Nothing but respect, right? So well, and also it's not Kubrick's big splash. Probably it's loved for the set design, for the lighting. Oh yeah, for and the all acting. that natural lighting, everything. Yeah, but it's kind of a hard one to get through. But if you do, it has a certain feeling, which is very good. And he goes into this. Oh, I agree. I think it's it's genuinely. Tremendous film, and I think it's a better film than The Irishman, but yeah. go ahead. Oh, uh, I agree with that. So, Barry Lyndon. It is about lives that came and went, and all their turmoil, all their drama and violence and noise and loss, and how they invariably fade like we all do. It was the reign of King George III uh, that the Orf... Uh, let's just go through this a bit. Okay, the film is a mausoleum of myths, funeral monuments that stand to crush the bones beneath it. Granite is meant to last, but we will turn the dust inside it. Right. This is all Guillermo. This is all him tweeting. talking, <laughs> tweeting, right. using, uh, it is the anti-my way, played in every gangster wedding in the world. Regrets, uh, they had more than a few. The road cannot be undone. We all face the balance at the end. Even the voiceover recourse has De Niro trailing off into a mumbled nonsense. Uh, Scorsese started hand-in-hand hand with Schrader as a young man looking for Brisson. This movie transmogrified all the gangster myths into regret. You live this movie. It never goes for the sexy of violence, never for the spectacle, and yet is spectacularly cinematic. I think that's the good take. Is that it I is, think it's a, yeah. I mean, it, that's the kind of take that makes me think, uh, what did I miss? I'm not, you know, obviously if this, one of the great filmmakers of our, our current generation and generation before, um, 
is lauding it the way that he is, did I miss something? But I, you know, I take a little little bit of issue um, with saying like it, it fall. I mean, he says at some point, maybe you just read it, but he says at some point like, oh, it's perfect, like uh, trifecta between Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. Oh yeah, here this film needs time. However, it has to be processed like a real morning. It will come up in stages. I believe most of its power will sink in in time and provoke a true realization, a masterpiece, the perfect corollary Godfather and Casino. Yeah, maybe. I mean, or, or, sorry, Goodfellas. Yeah, whatever. yeah Goodfellas whatever. and Casino. But they're Irish movies. I would argue Goodfellas <laughs> is a hands-down masterpiece, uh-huh. and Casino is absolutely not that. Totally. And I feel like the Irishman <laughs> right now, in my mind, is not that. Somebody asked me, I came out of the movie, somebody was texting me, and I said, hey, I'm sorry, I just went in to see The Irishman, and they were like, how was it? And all I replied back was, Goodfellas is safe. You know, like, <laughs> it's not going to reach that quality. I mean, and, and, you know, oh, yeah. uh, it, and even in time, I don't think you're going to look back and go, oh, yeah, it was as good as Goodfellas. I, I definitely don't think it'll be as good as Goodfellas. However, again, this is him reflecting on his own body of work, oh, especially sure. and the body of work of mob movies. And he is trying to take a different tone, which is that of fading. Uh, it even says in the movie, like, oh, kids these days don't even know who Jimmy Hoffa was. Sure. Uh, maybe they know he's a guy who disappeared at some point. Right, right. And that is a, that, that's a kind of nice angle of it. Right up front, it's like, yeah. This happens. It seems so big at its time, but it's mm-hmm. just shit that happens. It, it's kind of fade. The Barry Lyndon reference of you see this rise in the first half and then two hours of a fall right. for the second half, and you're watching it the whole time. You know it's a fall. Yep. Irishman has a similar thing where you're watching this fall, so you do get to focus on where Goodfellas, the thing Scorsese has been you know, kind of held to a lot, is does he overly glorify bad characters right. or bad, violence, bad yeah. habits, yeah. violence, uh, crime, it, it, whether it's Wolf of Wall Street, whether it's Goodfellas. Sure. Does he make them too likable, too much fun? He really lets them stew on the decisions they make and how that affects you for a long time. Uh, as seen in Anna Paquin's lack of dialogue, the whole right. point of the movie is she doesn't talk to her father anymore. Right. Her acting is great without dialogue because he's, you know, he... He is able to see that for a long time, you know, in this old age when he's... De Niro's character. Yeah, when he's yeah. old-aged, not de-aged, right. but re-aged or whatever. Or just him. Him. Well, it's older <laughs> it's than older. him. No, yeah. no, no, no. Def- they definitely make him older. But they have a lot of him realizing that he's just estranged himself from everything. Yeah, and, yeah, And I, I like them stewing on I that. I think that was done so much better in Goodfellas sure. when Ray Liotta's standing in the suburbs and talking about, hey, I just ordered you know spaghetti and meatballs and somebody brought me you know noodles with ketchup. And like, yeah, that's your life. That's why yeah. this sucks. You fucked up. You know? Um, and it's summed up in 45 seconds versus yeah. played out over <laughs> an hour. An hour <laughs> you know? Um, I prefer that. Okay, so our our take is see the Irishman, yeah, but watch we'd it. Love to in, hear what you guys have watch to say. it in less than four takes, or four or fewer takes. Try not to do ten, because right, you'll you'll just fatigue. You'll out. forget everything that was happening. Right. So that's the Irishman. Uh, we were going to try to stretch this out to a three and a half hour review, but <laughs> right. we just couldn't. Yeah. Uh, 
But now let's go into the Christmas movies or the holiday movies in general. Sure. Thanksgiving we did last month we did planes, trains, and automobiles. Got us ready for that. Now let's enjoy the holidays. Can we play that clip from Elf? Oh, I love it. Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Uh, why, of course I am. Well, if you're Santa, what song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, happy birthday, of course. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how old are you, son? Oh, You're a big boy. What's your name? Paul. And uh, what can I Paul, get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. <laughs> Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. <laughs> you stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will Ferrell. Uh, I saw that on Thanksgiving weekend, however, a decade or more ago. Oh, more, sure. th- more than a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Man, that's sad to watch, though, because of what's become of Artie Lang. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, I didn't think about it that Yeah, way. I was looking, I'm like, that can't be him. His nose looks more formed. Like a nose. Right, yeah. less bulbous. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well. Uh, Artie Lang, everyone. <laughs> Truly funny guy, though. Shout out to him guy. for being sober, though. He, yeah. He, yeah, man. He's sober yeah. now. That's cool. Yeah, like he a was, year or something? Uh, yeah, I mean, total sidebar, but he, he played, uh, you know, supporting character in, in the Pete Holmes HBO series, Crashing. Oh, okay. Especially oh. season one, real heavily. He crushes it. Oh, He's sure. fantastic. I mean, he's playing a version of himself, sure. but it's fantastic. Uh, so stay sober for the holidays. Uh, let's get. What are some of our favorite holiday movies? As we're getting into our month of pretty heavy holiday programming. Yeah, Suns. I mean that's the kind of thing. Like we, you've got some stuff set up uh, at Suns this month. Some some classic uh, greatest hits. Can we, we talk about the, those just for a second? Yeah, or? we just play the hits. I mean, this December has often written itself. It's like Lethal Weapon, Gremlins, <laughs> uh, Die Hard, Home sure. Alone. But we did throw in a few kind of Christmas-ish movies. Uh, Eyes Wide Shut, we said. Right. Uh, that, there you go. Um, the Ice Storm. Which right, I right, right. quite like. Yeah, uh, Ang Lee film, right? Uh, I've never seen Rare Exports, Christmas Tale, but it looks kind of ridiculous. Mm. Uh, we'll be playing it next week. We're doing Brazil. I forgot that Brazil is kind of a Christmas movie. Is it a kind of Christmas yeah. movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're doing Monty Python, Life of Brian. All right. So we've got a lot of uh, Terry Gilliam movies, I guess, yeah, coming in here. definitely. Playing Hudsucker Proxy. Um, not a high bar of the Coens, but a very fun movie. Yeah. Um, playing Fanny and Alexander Bergman's. Uh, Oof. So, yeah, we've got some good fun stuff. Star, War- Star Wars Holiday Special. You know, a lot of the stuff we do every year. Yeah, yeah. Edward hands. No, it's a wonderful it life. Not this year. No, I think, I mean, and I, I think that's changed, you know, um, now. I think well, now you, the rights are hard to get. Well, right. But, yeah. <laughs> well, I think, too, you know, it's just we all live on these apps, right? Even in our televisions, it's just like I'm going into Amazon or I'm going in. It's, you're not watching television. It's not a wonderful life. Right. And so what you miss out on are the 24, 48, 72-hour marathons that used to be run by TNT, TBS before that. Uh-huh. 
um, and then local television stations after that. So there's this kind of let's tell the story. Of, yeah, yeah. There's of kind the of a life. there's a whole weird story behind it's a wonderful life and and kind of where it fits into you know society around the holidays and and how it became such a big hit. So. Um, you know, it was the first film that Capra and Jimmy Stewart, both who were, um, you know, fighting Nazis uh, during World War II, had come back in 45, got together, said, hey, we want to make this film, had all kinds of trouble getting it produced. Finally, Republic Pictures, um, you know, took it and and had something, to, you know, with uh, like Capra self-producing, all this, you know, played into everything. It gets released real lukewarm you know feelings everybody thought Stewart was great but sure. thought the the film was uh like you know uh what's his name crowley and new york times was like uh you know it's too sentimental um and i think what people you know people just kind of didn't go to it so it didn't play and then it just kind of disappeared for 30 years almost uh-huh. in 1974 republic pictures forgot to renew the license and it became a free entity to any television station in the United States that wanted to air it. So um, I think one of the Chicago stations, probably WGN, uh, certainly St. Louis and uh, KSDK or KMOX, one of those, but they started playing it on a loop and just doing like 24 hour marathons. That way they didn't have to worry about programming. They could send all their people home for the, for the holiday and nobody's in, you know, maybe one or two people manning the entire station. And Otherwise, it's just playing on a loop. And it's essentially public domain at this point. And it's public right. domain at this point, yeah. So it costs and nothing to costs screen. Nothing. And it's, you know, Christmas Day, all day long, it's just playing. And it started playing in the backgrounds of everybody's lives from 1974 on. Mm-hmm. And certainly by the time I was growing up in the mid-'80s, it was a fixture. I mean, oh, it was yeah. just this thing that was on all day on Christmas. And, you know, later a Christmas story becomes kind of in that same vein sure. starts getting the loop but for you know the better part of two decades um it's a wonderful life just entrenched itself in in the american culture and i don't know if that's still the case um but it certainly had you know a good 20 or 30 year run where it was the oh, case sure. where everyone just watched it over the holiday uh i think it's amazing and i i think that was the thing like people are receptive to sentimentality. If oh, yeah. At any other time, you know, if at no other time than Christmas, we are absolutely okay with like a little bit of cheese is all right. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, and it has just a little bit of that. But if you go back and watch that just as a film, you realize you're seeing, you know, Jimmy Stewart at the height of his powers, Frank Capra back off of the war effort and making, you know, his really last strides into great filmmaking. Uh-huh. Um, but it holds up. It's great. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And Stewart's performance is really, really top notch. Well, um, it works as a classic. That's the other thing. When, when uh, something comes out, it's hard to look at it. You're not looking at right. it the lens of a classic. It's like, this movie is taking itself so well, sentimentally. It might be the Irishman all over ah. again. You know, it might be the prelude to the Irishman. Thirty years will be, you know, singing its praises. Um, I, there's a whole laundry list, right? There's all kind of the, the the standard classic films that everybody watches over the holidays, from White Christmas to Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Yeah, I'm talking of the old stuff now. Sure, me you know, in Christmas Louis. in Connecticut, me being St. Louis. My favorite of that era is a film from 1940 called Remember the Night. Uh, it's a Barbara Stanwyck film, uh, Fred McMurray. 
uh, he plays a DA. She's locked up for shoplifting. Oh. I mean, it's like this beautiful little story. And so he decides in lieu of having her, you know, sit, it's a little bit of a mix up, but in lieu of having her sit in jail, she gets basically the judge assigns him uh, responsibility okay. for her to bring her back and uh, all this. So, so they go on this adventure. It's a little bit of a road trip. The law used he to goes be home. Yeah. <laughs> he goes home and, and the whole family and obviously they fall in love. It's just a great, great film with amazing performances all by everybody involved and, and a whole lot of fun in the same vein of It's a Wonderful Life. It's just a lot of fun. Yeah, so you get that batch of real sentimental classics, and that's like a certain era of uh, taking it a little seriously. Then the reaction, which we get this another right. great bunch of movies, is kind of like, let's not be the sweet sentimental family movie. Let's be a little edgy. Let's be a little edgy. And, and we've started seeing something happen really in the eighties where we decided, and I think Shane Black's heavily responsible for this. um, Oh, definitely. But it happens a couple of times, even before that Uh, there, Sylvester Stallone's film, the Cobra in 1986 is set during the Christmas holidays. Uh And there are actually several scenes that remind you like, Oh yeah, it's Christmas. Oh, and gremlin, Uh, the weight of gremlin. Oh, the weight of gremlins for sure. And that was kind of it. I think Shane Black, was an exceptionally smart writer, exceptionally smart Hollywood screenwriter, understood how things get made and why things get made, and decided, I've got this action film uh-huh. that, you know, just kind of a, a classic, you know, two partners that don't get along having to solve a crime together, you know, and how they, they grow to love each other. What if we put it in the middle of Christmas in Los Angeles? And what does yeah. that look like? Um, Brilliant idea. Just like open the film up. Yeah. And it was a thing like nobody thinks about that. Like, I mean, I lived out there for a few years. You grew up out there. You realize like, oh, yeah, this what was probably very normal for you. For me. (laughs) Yeah. For me in my early 20s was shocking. Like this does not feel like Christmas. I grew up in the Midwest. There's snow. There's lights everywhere. There's, you know, it just feels like the holidays. And L.A. is certainly you know, has its own vibe in that, in that holiday season. Completely. And I think lethal weapon was the first film that really kind of dove into that. And then of course he does it, you know, almost 20 years later with one of your favorites, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Also great. uh, Also set during the holidays, not a holiday movie, but set during Christmas. Well, the setting is so fun of of the holidays. Like you're, you can make all these jabs at consumerism and all the, all these things. But you can still do an action movie that's snarky. Right. And I, I think, obviously, you know, there, then there becomes the very obvious things like Gremlins, Home Alone, Scrooged, of all of that kind of era of that generation oh, yeah. that have become, in their own right, very much classics. Um, uh, I, even the horror genre kind of jumped into that a little bit Deadly with or, uh, or, uh, Black Christmas and then Silent Night, Deadly Night, which is not nearly as good as Black Christmas. Black, Black Christmas, Christmas 70s, right? 74. Yeah, yeah. It's actually really good. Actually good. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that it was actually made uh, by Bob Clark, who wrote and directed A Christmas Story oh. in 1983. Same director, 10 All years right. later, nine years later, whatever, makes Christmas Story, which is certainly, you know, if you look at these. Esquire, GQ, whoever's putting, you know, BuzzFeed, whoever's putting out a list of best holiday movies, like A Christmas Story is typically in the top five. 
you know, just a monster yeah. of a Christmas film. And Literally then, the only reason you could still find Ovaltine. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, and then we kind of move forward. Wait, well, let's get, did oh, we mention sorry. the mother? The mother of the oh, action please, Christmas please, movie. Please, please, uh, Die Hard. Yes. Yeah, 88 A year, Hard. yeah, a year after Lethal Weapon, they come back, bring Bruce Willis back to Los Angeles again, uh-huh. but just hit one straight out of the park. Um, Listen to last so year's episode. Uh, we did one on Lethal Weapon versus Die Hard right. last year and about how those the casting uh, that could have, could have, would have been, right. wouldn't have worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I would recommend that. Yeah, if you, if you have time, you want to get dig into that, we do a, a pretty neat little, you know, versus episode between Lethal Weapon and Die Hard from last year. Um, I am... I love Die Hard. I, I watch it every year, but without fail, on Christmas Eve every year, I watch Lethal Weapon. Yeah. Um, and that's my own tradition, whatever, but like I just, I, it doesn't feel like Christmas unless I'm watching Lethal Weapon on Christmas Eve. I mean, I just like listening to the soundtrack all oh, December. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. that Clapton delay guitar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Him and Richie Sambora. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Uh, and then there's some some later stuff like Elf, you know, that that came in and just crushed it. Um, I saw it at the theater as well. He uh, <laughs> loved it, and and one of my other favorites, again, very much a Christmas movie uh, and very entrenched in in the Christmas traditions. Uh, is a film called Just Friends. Uh, I think people have slept on this a little bit. Um, Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris nailed it. <laughs> is just so so smart and so good um, at what she does in this film, uh, and everyone else is just wonderful, adorable. You know all the things that you want in a holiday movie. Um, Has Ryan Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds is of course you know just like the best looking guy on the planet and crushes uh, and like to be that good looking and have that good of comedy you know that good comedy timing. Oh yeah, is almost. Should be illegal. Remember, he uh, did uh, Waiting, which had like Dane, yeah. Dane Cook was probably yeah, yeah, yeah. the biggest comedian oh, sure. at that time. He was on a roll. And Dane Cook is pointless in the movie because Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds Reynolds just steals the whole damn thing. Is way better comedy yeah. in that. It, what a. Yeah, sorry, we're going to gush over Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, right why now. not, man? Uh, thank you, Canada. Soon, soon, the next Fast and the Furious, I think, is going fe- he's going to be a lead. Oh, no those, way. Those aren't, well, he got introduced to us in Hobbs I and Shaw. So. Yeah, yeah. But that was like the setup. Right. He's, he's now a Fast and Furiouser. I'll see it. Yeah. Um. <laughs> not going to be good, but I'll see it. I will say my favorite, um, I don't know, my favorite's probably Lethal Weapon, but I think Another one that I uh, and and remember the night, which I'll post all this on my letterbox and we'll link to it or whatever. But uh, the movies we're talking about, we'll just put together a Christmas list. Um, the other one is The Apartment from 1960. Billy Wilder, one Best Picture, deservedly so. I mean, just is that Jack um, Lemmon, yeah, yeah, Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred Murray again. Um, but man, I, I will tell all of anyone if you know perfect time to watch this if you haven't seen it watch it over the holidays you can you know watch it anywhere um but you won't be disappointed it's such a good movie and shirley mcclain's so beautiful um fred mcmurray's such a shit and Mm. jack lemon like in you know ensconced himself in the everyman for the like that would play out the rest of his career like this is who he is um and does it you know with unparalleled poise and talk about comedy timing and and just great dramatic 
uh, ability, great performances all around. The Apartment, 1960, Billy Wilder, definitely put it on your list. Uh, I'm going to make my, to, to close the episode out, I'm going to make my pitch. I think I make this every year to everyone who will listen. My favorite Christmas movie is 1994, Nora Ephron, Mixed Nuts. Yeah, Steve with, Martin. With Steve Martin, Madeline Kahn, Juliette Lewis, Adam Sandler, uh, see Rhea Wilson, Leif Schreiber. Insane cast, yeah. Great ensemble cast. Uh, I think Larry Sanders is in it. It's just yeah. Rob Reiner. Wonderful movie. Uh, takes place in L.A. Yep. It's Christmas Eve. Everyone works at a suicide prevention hotline called Lifesavers, and they're getting evicted. Right. So it is <laughs> a perfect. dark comedy right. Christmas tale. Uh, got totally canned. People hated it. Yeah, it right. Terribly reviewed. But uh, I do think Nora Ephron made a sleeper best uh, oh, yeah. Christmas and it's, movie. It's finding like year after year. I think people are continuing to find it. You know? Such a good one. If you can find it anywhere, it never streams. But if you can find it or if you find it to rent, Mixed Nuts is a surprisingly great ensemble cast. Sure. Uh, Jack, like, do you have a favorite? Uh, you've covered them all, I think. Um, National Lampoon's Christmas yeah, man. movie yeah. for me oh, was I always I watch it every the, year. And, um, and A Christmas Story always plays at our house. Right. Yeah. See, well, uh, should, we, should we let Al Pacino play uh, Al Pacino, who's yeah, definitely well, going to be talk vying. This through. He's going to be vying for Best Supporting Actor. He might get it. I'm hoping uh, myself, I'm hoping that it goes to William Dafoe. But Pacino might, might snag the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. But it won't be because of this. It will not be because of this wonderful advertisement he did for Dunkin' Donuts. He really did this, folks. This is really Al Pacino. Go on YouTube and look this up. It, it really happened. I cannot believe my eyes or ears. Yep. And uh, listen to it and uh, have a happy, uh, well, it's not a fucking holiday or whatever, but listen to Al Pacino for a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. It's going to put you in the mood. Wow. Al Pacino. It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, hua, latte light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. 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 Dunkachino.